Well, hi, family. Wasn't that an amazing scripture reading? I have to tell you, I love so much all of the different uh, dialects and languages that we've been hearing. And consequently, I must uh, apologize to you because the remainder of today's message will be brought to you by Texas Twang. And, uh, you know, I just, the way the Lord made it, I can't do anything about it. But at least you got to hear a beautiful language scripture reading. Uh, For those of you that don't know, I'm Casey Payne. I'm so glad to be with you today. It's already been said before before I came here in this spot, but I do want to say happy Mother's Day to to all my moms out there. I I am one. And uh, yeah, man, I know we talk about the society, you know, like we're raising kids in this age where like everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a gold star. And I'm just going to say, if there was any time that I say everybody deserves a gold star, it's now, okay? Because listen, we've been all thrown into this crazy situation. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. And if you are a parent out there, I just want to say gold star for you because no matter if you feel like you're killing it or you're counting down the days till school is out or counting down the days till you can leave your house again, you're showing up every day, you're doing the best you can. And you know what? gold star for all of us for that. So I do want to say that as we start today. And you know, my message today is not a Mother's Day message. Um, And I've got to be honest with you. I'm just going to start right off the bat. You guys know I keep it real all the time. Um, I'm just heavy today. I just carry the weight of a lot of things happening right now into this moment, into this message. I know that, again, we, we are, we're battling uh, COVID-19, and, and we're all trying to figure out our way and, and praying for a cure soon and praying for progression, and that's heavy on us. We don't know the, the future. We have anxiety. We have that weight. We have Mother's Day, and maybe there's a, a lot of moms out there today struggling or have pain or missing their own moms or have broken relationships with their moms. And so we have that weight. And then we have the added weight of once again, we were reminded that evil is alive and well and injustice is happening. Not only are we fighting a virus, but we continue to fight each other. And I understand that that is a heavy burden. And I share that burden with you. And so, man, Add all that together and hey, here I am bringing the word to you today. It feels a little heavy, but I think that's okay. And let me tell you, it is in God's providence that we are going through the book of John right now because rather than have a message specifically geared towards all of the things in our cultural moment, God in his, just his great foresight had us go through this book because I think today's message, I think today's passage speaks to all of us wherever we're at, whatever end of the scale we fall on today, whatever burden it is we're carrying, I believe that this passage speaks to all of us today. And so I feel like the best way that I could possibly serve you today and encourage your heart today is to bring this word. Let the word speak to you. Let the word sing. Let Jesus be the hero that he is. And I think today we can leave with our hearts encouraged and strengthened no matter what it is we're facing 
today. So we're going to get right to the word this morning. I don't have any clever openings or funny intros. You know me, I I like to do that every now and then, but you know what? I want to get straight into the word because it's just that powerful today, and I believe God is going to speak to all of us. So let me set up really quick before we go into the scripture that a little bit where we left off last week, okay? So um, my husband, Pastor Chris, did a phenomenal job with last week's word, and and wow, 20 verses. I'm just saying that's, that's a lot to get through. But he did it with such grace and such power. But he set us up, okay? If you remember the end of where we left off last week, right? We've got the disciples and Jesus. I'll, we'll, I'm going to show that picture that he showed last week. We'll, we'll cut to that right now. The, the last supper room, the upper room where they are together, this intimate setting Jesus is spending his last moments with the people closest to him. And if you remember where we left off was Judas had betrayed. He went ahead, he stood up, he's gonna go and he's gonna betray Jesus. And we know at least John and probably Peter knew that it was Judas. Now, does everybody else know it was him? Maybe or maybe not, but that's the scene, okay? So as Chris talked about last week, we see a shift in Jesus. It's almost like he's, he's going, wow. He starts talking about the Father being glorified and through the Son, and he, he realizes that, man, this is, I'm continuing on my path. This was another marker. We passed this test. And I think there was a little relief in his soul, and now he's gonna turn his attention to his beloved disciples disciples, the people that he spent the most time with, that he poured his very heart and soul into. And we get to be witness to some of the greatest passages of scripture in beginning in John 14, because we make the shift here now, he's turning his attention to them. And for the next few chapters, we see this final discourse, if you will. This, this, this is the last time I'm with you guys. This is the last time we're together. So do you think that the words Jesus says in these, in these passages matter? Are they important? Absolutely, because he is setting up his disciples. He is trying to get them secure and for their future and assured so that they can go and continue God's mission. He wants to fill them full of confidence, full of power so that they can go down the path that God has set out for them and to carry the gospel forward. These are the ones Jesus is entrusting to take this good news out into the world. So I think it probably matters a lot, and we should perk up our ears when we hear Jesus share these words to everyone. So that's the setup. That's where we are. It's like in a movie, right? In the, the, when the hero is about to go off to battle or to war, and they know they might not come back. This is where we're at, okay? It's like cue the music, cue the dramatic music, cue the uh, boys to men, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday, you know, whatever scene that you're in, Cue that music because Jesus knows he's about to go and he will not come back in the physical form. So it's that part of the movie, right? It's the part of the movie where the hero feels like, okay, I need to like really put these words in you or I need to finally confess my love to the heroine or I need to, whatever it is, it's like this is the moment. And this is the moment we enter into as we go into this word. So that's our setup. That's where we are. 
in light of that, let's read these 14 verses together and let's see what Jesus turns his attention to and what he decides to say. So let's go. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus starts and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, oh, we love Thomas, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. <laughs> that was 14 verses of some really heavy hitting verses, some really powerful statements. Some of the st very statements that build the foundation of what we believe as Christians. So already this thing is loaded, baby. We have got a lot to unpack here. But I want to submit to you verse 1 before we go any further. Because I believe that Jesus addresses the problem in the room, and then I think he actually gives the answer all in verse one. It's like if you were writing a, a paper, verse one is the thesis. Like, this is what this is gonna be about. I'm gonna spend the rest of my time explaining why I said this. And I think verse one has this. So let's go back to verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And our first takeaway today that I'm going to show you is the answer for the troubled heart is trust. I believe this is what Jesus is saying in this moment. 
And then he's going to spend several verses and even beyond what I'm going to talk about today explaining why they can trust and who or what they are to put their trust in. Okay, now again, let's go back to the scene. Let's reimagine what's happening here. The disciples had just heard, their, their world has been rocked. They have just heard one of them is going to betray him. They have heard Jesus say, where I'm going, you can't follow me. And remember, these guys gave their whole lives up to follow him. There wasn't anywhere he went that they did not follow. They followed him to the bathroom. They ate dinner with him. They walked among all of the streets with him, everything. And then he turns around and tells them, you can't go where I'm going. Their world is shattered. What will we do without Jesus? I would say their hearts are troubled (laughs) just a little bit. And then to add on even more, the last thing that is said before verse 1 here in the last verse of chapter 13 is, hey, Peter, guess what? You're going to deny me three times. And do you think that probably just shattered Peter's heart into a million pieces (laughs) in that moment? I think so. So this is where we find ourselves in verse 1. And I don't know. I think it could have gone one of two ways. Either there was visible distress in the room. Maybe they were crying. Maybe they started arguing with each other. Maybe they felt this urgency of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Maybe Peter is so distraught and he's, he's yelling or he's weeping or he's sobbing like, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. I think that could have been the room or I think the room might have been completely silent. Because for the disciples, that probably was not the common case in the room. So I think either way, Jesus knew they were troubled. Not to mention Jesus' own heart was troubled. So the first thing he says to them is, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. The Passion Translation says this, don't worry or surrender to your fear, for you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. The message says, don't let this throw you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. Now, he's really trying to make a point here. First of all, again, the problem, the answer. Verse one, bam, there it is. The answer is trust and believe in me. Now, he appeals to them in their belief in the Father. And this has been interpreted a couple of different ways, but um, it's that sometimes the, the scholars believe that it's uh, indicative and then imperative, like as a, hey, you've believed in God, now believe in me. Some people believe it's imperative, both statements. Believe in God, believe in me. I think both work, but I do think a little bit he's appealing to guys, remember, hey, you trust God. You've seen him do things, right? Hey, we've seen some stuff together. You guys know the word. You believe in God. And now he's saying, take that same belief and trust and put it in me. Because I, he's really saying to them, I am the word. And he's saying, I'm about to go fulfill the promise, even though they don't understand that. And he really, 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 really emphasizes a word in these passages. And it's the father. 
He says it 13 times in these 14 verses. I think he really, really wants them to understand the union between him and his father because that is crucial for them to carry the gospel message forward. It's absolutely foundational to their understanding that they understand the father and I are one. And he's going to talk a lot about that so that they understand. But, you know, the disciples... um, we got to give them some credit. We actually know the end of the story, so we know what happens. But as Jesus is telling him, them these hard-hitting things, they don't fully follow where he's going. And so it's not only what Jesus says in the following scriptures, it's how he says it and the language he uses. And I want to show this immediately in verse 2, that he begins this discourse in a very comforting way, in a way that would have assured them and made them them feel peace in their, in their soul. So let's go to verse two here. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And then he has this peculiar thing at the end. He says, and you know the way where I am to where I am going. Now, something that's really cool here, we know that this, this statement's actually loaded with meaning, right? We know that he is talking about, he's about to go give his life and a sacrifice for us. He's about to go whoop the devil's butt and, and conquer death and hell. We know all of these things. So when he's saying, I'm going to prepare the way for you, we know it means many things. But again, the disciples they may or may not have grasped some of the things that he was saying. So check this out. We, uh, in this, uh, this scholar that we really enjoy a lot, Ray Vanderlyn, he gives an illustration here that I think is just so touching. And he actually says that in this scripture, he is speaking in a way that they would have understood using the imagery of marriage, of what's going to happen when a husband and wife come together in their union. And you know what? I believe that because Jesus, we see throughout the scripture, what does he do? He speaks in parables. He gives word pictures. He, he shares stories in a way that they would have understood it in their context and not just set all of these like grand statements into the air because he wanted them to understand. And so he's spoke in a language that they would get. And so I'm going to show you this picture. This is an artist's rendering of maybe what Peter's house would have looked like. Uh, they lived in Capernaum, right by the Sea of Galilee. And we, we know from the scripture, this is a place they spent a lot of time. And in this day, they would have these kind of compound things called insulas, where they would all live together. Several people, they would live in this big kind of house compound kind of thing. And the next picture I'm going to show you is the actual picture of the ruins today, and my feet have stood in this place. And let me tell you, it was absolutely amazing. This picture right here is where I was at. This is the same picture, the ruins, of what it would have looked like. Now, here's the cool part. When, in those days, when a young man wanted to marry someone, and he went and he proposed, and, you know, he's, he's saying, hey, I want to marry your daughter, they would exchange this covenant, um, which is also another teaching, because I believe it comes up in the Last Supper when they drink, uh, when they drink the wine, but um, they would have this, you know, celebration, and then the essence of it, he would walk away, and he would go, and he would prepare a room on this big, on this big insula, 
and that the groom would build a room onto his father's house to prepare for his bride. And then when the room was ready, when the father said, yep, we're done, it's a go time, son, go get your woman. He would go and get his bride and come back for her and they would go live in this new house that he built. And so I just think this is so beautiful I think this is so like Jesus. And I also think because there's more scripture that refer to wedding imagery about us being the bride of Christ, that he wanted them to be comforted by this fact because they didn't understand where he was going. They didn't understand preparing a room, but they would have understand, they would have understood, I'm gonna go and build a house for my bride and I'm gonna get it ready and it's gonna be awesome. And when the time is ready, I'm gonna come back for her and we're gonna go live there together and be together. I think this would have brought comfort to their hearts because they would have seen that imagery and they would have said, oh, okay. So you're saying like you're like a groom, you're gonna go and prepare it. And then he, he makes this very comforting statement to them that he says, not only am I going to prepare this, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to take you back to myself. He's saying, you're not going to be alone. Okay. No matter what it looks like, no matter what you're about to face, you're not going to be alone. I think this would have been a great, great comfort to the disciples. And then he ends this statement (laughs) and he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, I think another way of saying this is maybe he just looked them straight in the eyes and he said, guys, you know the way back home. I promise. You've already seen it. You've been with it. You know the way home. This would have been very comforting if they would have understood what Jesus was talking about. But we see in the next scripture that, well, They just don't. (laughs) They don't quite understand. And we have Thomas. And again, I'm grateful for disciples like Thomas who constantly questioned and was like, I need to know because I'm like, thank God that he chose people like that to carry his message. That's amazing to me. And he says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, this next passage, this next scripture is super, super important. And we know this is like a very foundational thing he's about to say. He's like, I don't know. I don't know where you're going. He answers them by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I think there's a little bit of disappointment as he continues because he said, if, you'd had, if you had known me, you would have known that, that I am with my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. But he says, guys, it's okay. I'm gonna explain it to you. And we know what that means. Of course, that statement is, he is saying, there is no other way to God except through me. And that was a giant statement. It was revolutionary. Words like that are what ultimately got Jesus killed. But he is making a truth statement. And remember, he's not on the mountaintops shouting this out to the masses of people who would not have understood. He's with his closest friends. 
And he's actually making this statement as a way of comfort to them because he's saying, guess what? You don't have to figure out the way. The way is a person and you already know me. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth because I'm about to fulfill every promise that that has been prophesied and I'm gonna fulfill the Father's will. So I am the truth and then I'm also the life. I am the way to eternal life. You will be with me forever. I believe he was speaking this as a way of comfort to them, as a way of like, guys, this isn't something you have to do. I'm about to go put this on my back. I am about to go pay the ultimate price so that this statement can be true. And I think it's just amazing that he says that right there. And he is comforting them by saying, guys, you know the way home, okay? I know it's gonna be confusing. I know what's coming ahead is, is gonna, there's gonna be a lot that's gonna happen, but he's telling them, you've been with me, therefore you know the Father because we're one, therefore you know the way home, and I'm gonna come back for you. I'm gonna come and get you. I think that would have been extremely comforting. And I think that's a little bit of a different way to look at this, like very, we would say very dogmatic statement, this very exclusive, which it is by definition, because he's saying I'm the only way, I'm it. I'm not a way, I'm not a good idea, I'm not one of many paths. I am the path. Whoa, that's huge. That's huge. But when he's speaking it to those closest to him, his very best friends, he is trying to comfort them. He's trying to say, guys, it's okay because you know the way and trust in me because I alone am the way to the Father. No one else is gonna be able to stand and say they paid the price like I did. Nobody else can have the claim that they sacrificed their life as an atonement for your sin. Jesus alone is the man. And he is the man. So he actually can make this statement. He, he doesn't have to prove it any other way. And he'll go on later, in, later on in John to say, greater love has no, there's no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life. And so he is trying to comfort them. He's trying to say, guys, this is the last moments I have with you. And so I want you to be okay. I want you to let your heart not be troubled right now because the answer to your troubled heart is to believe in me and put your trust in me. And wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And then he says, you know, of course, from now on, you do know him and you have seen the Father. Because he's saying, guys, listen, please understand, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. I do what the Father tells me to do. This is not new language to them, right? He has said this all throughout this gospel. As they're out and miracles are happening or he's, he's teaching or as, as the Pharisees are coming against him, he talks about the Father constantly. And so this would not be new, like a new revelation to them because he's been talking about this a lot. And I I think that's why he said, if you had known me, you would have known that you've already seen the Father if you've seen me. And so, but he's like, okay, but from now on, no, <laughs> know this, okay? And so here we have another response here from another disciple. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus' response, Jesus said to them, him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, let's think about this for a second. This is a moment where we see Jesus' humanity. Because, let's be honest, what would have brought Jesus' heart, his own troubled heart, remember, his path was the cross. That's where he's headed next. Can you imagine he might have a little trouble of his own? And what would have brought him so much comfort in that moment? What would have just been like a healing balm to his soul at that moment was for them to say, yes, Jesus, you are enough because we know you're one with the Father. That would have said to him, you really do know me. All the things I've said have sunk in and you've got it. And instead they say, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. That sounds noble. Philip is saying, just show us the Father and that's all we'll need. That's all we'll need. And I think Philip here is echoing the cry of all humanity for all of time. We want to see the Father. We want to see God, right? Moses in the Old Testament, there's accounts of people, God, show us your glory. I think he echoes that for all of us. So it's a noble thing to say and it would sound like, well, what's so wrong? was saying that. Well, the problem is, is that it reveals that they didn't really know Jesus. They had been with him this whole time. They had seen all of the things he's done. They have seen the miracles. They've seen how he loves. And at this very important juncture, when they need to understand that him and the father are one, they still don't know him. I think that hurt his heart because he's like, I think we see that moment of like the pressure comes out and he's like, have I been with you? Really? Guys, you still don't know. And I think that was a place of sorrow for him, not like just being angry. He's like, you don't know me. And he's like, as as noble as it sounds to say, show us the Father, Jesus is like, I'm standing right here in front of you because the Father and I are one and it's still not enough for you. You still don't understand. And I think that just made Jesus' heart really sad because they didn't know him. And it wasn't, it wasn't that Philip didn't know the Father. He didn't realize that he knew the Father because he'd been with him. The father had been revealed many times through the life of Jesus. So Philip, it wasn't a matter of him knowing him. It was, no, you already knew him and you didn't realize that you knew him. They missed it right here. And so Jesus is rightfully a little frustrated about that. And then he says, do you not, in verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, here it is again, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then he says, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Now, I think he says two things here. He says, you can believe because of two things in this verse. He says, you can believe because of my word and you can believe because of my works. 
I think Jesus wanted them to just trust him and his word. But I think he understood they weren't fully going to get it. And so he says, listen, if you can't believe the things I'm telling you right now, at least believe the works because they speak for themselves. He's saying, I never did anything the father didn't tell me to do. I didn't do it on my own authority. And you guys saw miracles happen. You saw amazing things happen. He's like, if you can't believe like me right now and what I'm trying to plead to you and how I'm trying to comfort your heart right now, at least let the works bring you comfort because that brings glory to the Father and reveals the Father. Believe on account of the works themselves. And then he makes a shift here at verse 12, another shift. And and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. This is a huge, another, again, another huge statement. This is another scripture that's a whole message on its own. It's its own sermon with many points inside. This is a very, very, very big statement of him to make because he is saying, listen, you've seen all the things that I've done. And he is telling the disciples, guess what, guys? You're going to do the works that I've done. And not only that, you're going to do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father. Even in this promise, he is trying to comfort them by showing them how Jesus is going to provide for them. He's saying, I am securing your future here because I have to go away. I have to go to the Father in order for these things to happen. And this is a great setup because next week we get to hear about the Holy Spirit. It's so wonderful because that is where he heads after this passage. But he's trying to assure them in these moments, these last moments, he's trying to say, guys, and everything that I'm doing in paying the price and sacrificing my life in the work of atonement in going to the father so that you can do these works. I am providing for you. I'm providing for your future. Your future is secure because of what I'm about to do. And then I think he also reveals a way that they keep relationship to him after he's gone. He's trying to tell them like, guys, you know, after I go away, our main relationship, our main way of being in communion is going to be through prayer. And he's like, ask it in my name. Let's do this together. This is Jesus's way of reassuring them that they're never going to be alone, that he's going to be with them. And then not only that, he's going to promise in the next passage, the, the comforter and the helper to come alongside of us. That's amazing. And I, I think that this is so amazing that he would let them know. But again, everything about these 14 verses is Jesus convincing them that you can trust me as a person. You can trust what I am doing. You can trust what I'm saying. I am good for it. And here's our takeaway today, I think, for all of us, where I think the disciples missed it. I'm going to put up this slide here that Peace doesn't come from trusting the path, the provision, or the promise. Peace comes from trusting one person, and that's Jesus. Now, usually we have this backwards. We say, this is where I think we put ourselves into the story, and we can relate to the disciples, because they were doing this constantly. Jesus is trying to tell them, guys, it's me, 
It's me. Come to me. You know the way home. I'm not going to leave you. I'm coming back for you. And they're going, but we don't know the path. They're focused on the path. They're focused on the thing that Jesus needs to show them or do for them. And they're not focused on the person when he's sitting there going, I'm it. I'm all that you need. But he and they instead insist on, I need to see the path. And then later on, they say, show us the father. They're asking for the provision or the promise before they can put their trust in the person. And it's backwards. We get this backwards with people, I think, because people have to earn the right for our trust. People have to earn the, uh, the place to speak into our lives for us to be able to put our trust in them. And I think with humans, I think that's a little understandable and it's okay. The problem is we cannot approach God with our human prerequisites. God has nothing further to prove to us to earn his trust. He has done it all. He has already made the way. He has shown us the path, the way, the truth, the life in Jesus. And again, the disciples just missed it. They missed it. They're going to get it later. They will because, again, we, when he's telling them you're going to do greater works than these, we'll see, we'll read about it later on in Acts. When the very shadow of Peter heals people in the streets, they will fulfill what Jesus said they will do. But at that time, they just didn't get it. Jesus was standing right in front of them saying, can we take these last few minutes together? Can we please just be together because this is what you need? Trust that it's not what I'm, what I'm going to do for you necessarily. It's me as the person. He's saying, guys, can we just be together in these last moments? Because this is what you're going to need. Now, here's the deal. Jesus knew that reassuring them of the path was not going to bring peace to their heart. Everyone in that room, with exception of John, is going to end up being martyred for their faith, for speaking God's truth. Do you think Jesus revealing the path to them would have been a comforting thought to be like, not only am about, I'm going to show you what's happening to me, but hey, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to die a horrible death. You're going to be crucified upside down. You're going to, you know, all of these things. Would that have been comforting to them in that moment? No. But let me tell you what was comforting to them in those last moments when they were going to give their lives for Jesus. It wasn't the path. It wasn't the provision or the promise. In those last moments, their comfort was, I am going home. I am going to be with Jesus again. I have run my race. And that brought peace to their troubled heart in that moment. Jesus was the prize. Heaven was the prize. And he wanted them to remember that as they went through these paths of trouble. And, you know, we're the very same way. And today I just want to tell you as we close, I just want to end with it's the same for us today. Jesus is, is pleading, pleading with us today to say, don't focus on the path, the provision, the promise, focus on the person. And the peace comes out of that. The peace does not come in you figuring it out, having your questions answered, having the path revealed to you, having the provision before you, before you put your trust. He's saying trust comes from me first and out of that everything else flows. 
Now, as we close, I know that that's really hard. It's, it's actually very simple. Jesus made it extremely simple. In verse 1, remember, he said, the answer for a troubled heart is trust and believe in me. He's saying you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do all of these works, which is why when he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, it's a comfort because other religions say you have to do this and this and this, and then God might accept you. Jesus is saying you believe and trust in me and that's all you have to do. It sounds very simple, but listen, I know I get it. I know that's actually a very hard thing to do in real life. And, you know, as, as I close, this is just the end right here. We're going to come to a place where we're just going to have to not have our questions answered and all of the things figured out and just take that leap of faith to trust and believe. And all I can do for you is to share my own testimony by saying, like the blind man, right? Listen, I don't know how this all works. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And I got tested in this very thing as I was preparing for this message as usually what will happen. But um, many of you know we share a story about Jackson all the time. Um, our youngest son is on the autism spectrum. And his diagnosis in that journey was one of the biggest areas of God teaching me about trusting him. Because my heart was filled with anxiety as a parent. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know about his future. I didn't know. And I wanted to find out. I wanted to get the answers. I wanted to see. And I wanted to go, God, why? Why? Why did you do? Why did this happen? But it wasn't until I released all of those things and trusted in Jesus, the person, that peace came. And I got a call two days ago that, that um, hey, guess what? The, the teacher called and she was so upset. She was mad. She was sad. She was, she was angry. And she said, um, I have to be the bearer of bad news. Jackson's getting transferred to another school next year. And that is a big deal for us because he's been in this program for three years with teachers he loves, that he trusts, that they adore him. It's a great relationship. And God's provision in that helped us trust in God that, hey, we trust you first and then the provision comes after. But in that moment, I was tested. And I'm gonna tell you, if I hadn't have been in this word right here, if Jesus's comfort out of these verses hadn't have just stirred my affection so much to go, God, you are so, wow, Jesus, there is no one like you. You are amazing. I love you so much. If I hadn't have been in that moment, my heart would have been greatly troubled. I would have immediately gone into anxiety, fear, looking for the answer. What do I do? What do I do? I need to be the one to figure it out. I need to be the one to find the path. But I had just got through reading all of these verses and I couldn't help but be comforted. I couldn't help but remember all the times that God has come through for us before and how he has shown up and provided for us. And I'm gonna tell you, I can't explain it. I can't give you theological reasons in that moment there was peace in my soul. There was peace in my heart that God, you did it before. You're gonna do it again, whether this is the way or whether we need to fight this and keep him at this school. God, you are the answer for my troubled heart. Only you, not anything else. And so I just wanna pray with you as we close because I know that there's a lot of reason for trouble today. I know some of you might be feeling perplexed, confused, angry. All of the emotions are there, I believe. But all I can do is give you these 14 verses 
of comfort <laughs> when Jesus comes before his disciples and he says, guys, this is what I have for you. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to show you how it's going to be okay. I'm trying to show you that I'm going to come back for you. It's never really unknown because he goes before us. And we're never really alone because he will never leave us. And he's the only one that can make that claim. He's the only one that we can stand upon the promises because he's already proved it. There's nothing left to prove. The word has been fulfilled. The way has been made. And our eternal souls rely on our belief and trust in Jesus as the way and the truth, the life. And so I know that it's hard for you to do that this morning, maybe. I know that, that you're struggling to trust God when you say, look at, look at everything around us. I'm supposed to trust God right now. Are you kidding me? He's the one that did all this. All I can do is appeal to you and just say, if you're tired of trying to find all the answers, if your soul is weary from confusion, from thinking you knew the way and it didn't work out, from putting all your hope into a person or a thing, I just dare you today, would you put your trust in the person of Jesus? Would you let him bring peace to your soul? And maybe, just maybe, some of those other things that we found disappointment in and pain in, we were looking to the path or the provision or the promise and not the person. Would you do that today? Could you just pray an honest prayer and heave all of your trust on Jesus? Because I'm telling you, he is worth it. He is worthy and he has done everything to show us that. Would you pray with me? God, we are amazed when we read the scriptures. We are amazed when you show us the comfort that can be found in your word and in you because it's all, you're all the same. You are the word. You are the son, the father, the Holy Spirit. God, I pray today for people out there that cannot put their trust in you because they've been hurt. They've been broken down. They're, they're angry. They're confused. God, I pray if they would just have the courage and the boldness to just say, I want to trust you. God, would you just flood your peace and your presence into their lives, into our life, into my life. God, would you give me peace today for my own troubled heart as I stand before everyone with my own troubled heart. God, we trust you. You're the hero of the story. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our affections. And you're worthy of our trust and belief. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you, God, for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.